Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm Mark McGettigan, a.k.a. the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a Fantasy Premier League manager, and I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks, and insight on the Athletics FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, and listen ad-free on the Athletic app. And welcome to Pot on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Friendly fire pre-season boils over at Benfica. Electric Eels Atlanta United expert Felipe Cardenas gives us the lowdown on our new CEO. And with less than two weeks to the start of the season, where's our new striker? Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it is Pod on the Time. My name is Taylor Payne, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Chris Woff and Mr. George Cogan. How the devil are we, chaps? Are we all right? It all got a bit tasty last night, didn't it? Yes, it was a rather tasty, friendly Joe Linton showing that he is still the hardest man on planet Earth. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, yes. Running through people. Yes, probably unnecessarily so, you would say. Uh, Maybe now you'd even temper that in a little bit. We'll get out of that in a little bit. No, but no, I'm very good. Thank you, Taylor. I just wanted to quickly mention... Someone who I should have mentioned on the podcast last week, and because I was in a state of flux trying to travel back, I forgot. But I, although I, although my meet and greet was disastrous, and only one person turned up the night before, I did meet some Newcastle fans on the Friday night in Selfledon. Uh, one of whom was called Colin and was an absolutely lovely bloke, and he is a regular listener to Pod on the Tiny. He lives in southern Germany. He used to, he watches every single match. Used to go regularly, but hasn't been able to get to too many games. But he's been through quite a difficult time. He's very very complimentary uh, about the podcast, about us, and saying that we that we were basically at one point during lockdown is hour of release. So I was quite taken aback chatting to him. It was one of those moments where. Uh, yeah, you, you feel really humble listening to someone, but he was absolutely wonderful to to meet. So I just wanted to give him a little bit of a shout out and say hi, Colin. I hope you're all right in Southern Germany there. Oh, that's lovely, Chris. Yes, hello, Colin. Thank you for for sticking with us and listening uh, throughout lockdown and and through uh, through everything. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be in your ears. Well, yeah, a bit taken aback by that. That's very um, that's very nice, isn't it? I mean, it, 
It's slightly startling to think that anybody um, it's nice, sort of isn't it? thinks of us like that. I, I forget sometimes that we're not just all talking bollocks to each other, that actually there are other people listening to us. And that, and, that, and that some people might even find it mildly interesting. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. So that's very nice. Yeah, no, I'm, that's a nice start to the day. How about you, Ted? You sound quite upbeat. Yeah, I'm good. I'm in the sun shining, the birds are singing, the crows are squawking outside my window. It's uh, Yeah, it's a nice morning, isn't it? And it's... Uh, you know, it's one of the first times in as long as I can remember that I'm actually feeling quite chipper going into the start of a Premier League season. I can't remember well, this ever being the case. That's <laughs> it, isn't it? I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days. I mean, bizarre. I know you're going to, you know, we're going to talk about pre-season, and I, you know, I'm just not not really interested in that. But I am, I am massively looking forward to the first game of the season, and I can't remember the last time. I mean, in fact, I'm in danger of like building it up a bit too much in my own head because I'm sort of putting myself into that position of sitting there for the Forest match, knowing it's going to be a brilliant atmosphere. And I, I'm, honestly, I can't wait. And for for so long, we've been coming up to seasons with a sense of dread or, <laughs> you know, apprehension or cynicism or worry that it's going to go wrong and that they haven't signed enough players and so on and so forth. And I've just have this almost zen-like calm mixed with enthusiasm and it's a very nice yeah. very nice feeling hearing george talk like that yeah that's that's what's more weird than any of it i don't know if i can get used to this i know that's so strange <laughs> what can possibly go wrong something's not right here <laughs> have you been kidnapped george can you blink? If well, this, it's like if this... it's, it's it's like the whole world is burning at the moment. I mean, in I mean, kind of literally, <laughs> but also sort of metaphorically. And um, you know, you had to kind of open the door last week to know that there's something very strange going on with the world. And there's no there's no bigger proof than that than Newcastle and a sense of optimism ten days before the start of the season. So <laughs> it's all going to turn to shit, isn't it? But I'm yeah. just enjoying it while it lasts. I think that's the best approach, isn't it? Uh, anyway, speaking of pre-season, uh, Newcastle played Benfica uh, last night in a pre-season friendly game, or was it more of a pre-season angry, Chris? I think that's the right term, isn't it? Uh, it was a, a, a ridiculous game of football, but good to see Newcastle playing against decent opposition, and it was a really tough test for them. Uh, not a bad match all in all. No, it was a very, very physical encounter. Um, Benfica brought that, and Newcastle also brought it. Now, I know I, I know from a lot of social media that supporters weren't very happy with the referee, and I think he probably was a little bit swaying towards the home side. But I also mm. think Newcastle, on an occasion, gave as good as they got. I think there was a... Uh, and I think we saw and that a little bit more than that as well, yeah. Yes, exactly, <laughs> which we'll get on to. But it was, it was certainly a step up in standards. So I was a little bit surprised that Howe went for two... Sides over the two forty-five minutes. I thought he might have gone for more of a closer towards his 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 potential start in eleven for the Forest game, yeah. and then stuck with it for sort of an hour seventy minutes. But you could see from the start in eleven that wasn't necessarily going to be the side he, he expects to play next week. A large part of it may well be, but which which let, leads us into what he will do on Friday and Saturday against Atlanta and. Um, and Athletic Bilbao at home when he, he intends to to split the squad in theory. So will he, will he go with sort of partnerships, have centre-backs together, or will he actually play a stronger side one day or the other? But it was, no, it was, it was good to see. I thought first half was a real test. I thought that Benfica controlled large parts of the game. I think for the first time, really, in a Newcastle shirt, and I, it was only 45 minutes of pre-season friendly, but I thought Bruno Gimres didn't look as composed and comfortable as normal. I thought he got overrun a little bit. The midfield in general got overrun a little bit. Early yellow card as well, Early wasn't it? Early yellow, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't ideal, so, was it? So that was interesting to see him put under a little bit of pressure and them tested. But 
No, it was. I think first half was was a real real challenge for Newcastle, but they managed to come out of it having scored twice, having nicked a, a couple of goals, good goals, good finishes from 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 Almiron, good assists from from Trippier. So yeah, it was a real it was a really interesting test. Did you take any interest in it this time, or are you still not ready to engage with football? Or well, I'm not ready to engage with friendly matches. I think that's I think that's my kind of general philosophy on life, and it always <laughs> it always has been. And no, it makes it me sound like I'm sort of unprofessional, which. Which I am, so that's fair enough. <laughs> no, what I was going to say, um, Chris, you know, Chris is our is our is our is our kind of Newcastle writer, dedicated Newcastle writer, and so you know, and he he does that brilliantly, and um, I'm very happy to sort of leave 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 him to do that on a Tuesday night in the middle of July while I while I watch Stranger Things. Nice, lovely stuff. Excellent. Is that what we're calling that game last night? Stranger thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. To be to be fair though, I mean that's that. I mean I'm quite sort of pleased about that. Looking at the stuff that they they're almost coming away from that game feeling sort of angry and aggrieved, and because preseason is a test of fitness, it's a chance to sort of uh, you know it's a chance to experiment with personnel and formations and do all that kind of stuff, and that obviously is important but those rare games where you do get a bit of needle and a bit of um you know that physical confrontation too i mean we'll come on to talk about why it's not necessarily ideal but it's in other ways you know it is a it's a different kind of challenge to be overcome and it is good to see newcastle um responding in a way that shows sort of togetherness and 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 that shows that kind of fight i mean i was i was thinking just before we we came on about about friendlies that have been important and actually Chris maybe we should have written something about this you know the time because you know you go back to 2009 and 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 the year of the first relegation under 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 Mike Ashley and of course that famous pre-season at uh, Leighton Orient where they got hammered and that was the kind of key key moment really for that whole season you know because it sort of weeded the people out who wanted to be there and didn't want to be there and so there can be a you know there can be kind of those important moments in pre-season that set a tone and maybe in one way shape or form last night you know Benfica sort of does does that and it shows that everybody's still together and that's you know that's pretty good. They're a proper team, Chris, aren't they, Benfica? They're, yeah, we have to remember they're only a week away from starting their season, and they're essentially two weeks ahead of Newcastle as far as fitness levels go and match readiness. Um, and they look like a proper team. But I thought Newcastle dealt with it fairly well. Although you know the t- the two goals in the first half conceded from set pieces, um, the defence looked a little bit shaky at times. But I thought all in all. We, we, we sort of matched them up, didn't we, in the first 45? Yeah, I actually thought second 45 was probably Newcastle's better 45. I thought they controlled large parts of it without really threatening. But first half, yeah, it was it was, it was was quite open the first half. There was a lot of, I mean, Benfica had a lot of uh, chances or half chances. Conceded a couple of sloppy goals, Newcastle. I thought, I thought they could have done better f- for both of them. Didn't recover themselves in glory in, in that sense. But it was the sort of, t- of test I needed to see where they're at and to see a team who really will bring it to them. And they, they, they didn't just dominate possession as they had done in the previous couple of matches. They had spells where they had a lot of the ball and they used it quite well, actually, in periods. But I think the, mid- the midfield was, was, was a little bit overrun. Maybe that, that was the first time in pre-season Elliot Anderson maybe didn't shine a little bit and it showed the, the step-up still there, even though he has basically forced himself yeah. certainly into how short-term plans, if not potentially staying a little bit longer and um i also thought that you, that you saw the difference between someone like Sven Botman and Jamal Lascelles in terms of if you're going to play that high line and if you're going to have a team who are going to receive the ball from Nick Pope who is it was it's very obvious now that he is going short whenever possible he's also in the side because 
because the because Newcastle are playing a high line, they want a sweeper keeper to cover in behind, and he does that very proactively. But that Lascelle still doesn't look overly comfortable on the ball, uh, and and that you can see that that breaks down a little bit in that sense, and that's why he probably is third choice, uh, sorry, fourth choice centre back going at the start of the season. Even though I know a lot of people made a big thing and understand we saw about Dan Byrne getting beaten for pace for for Ben as winner. Um, that, that 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 was a moment, but we know he, he, that's happened before. That is that is something that that, that he, he can be yeah. be caught out with in general. So yes, it was a real test. It was a real step up. Benfica are going to be in Champions League qualifier next week. It's a real different level. Um, but in terms of the Joe Linton bit, I just think that that was at that point. I thought a couple of Newcastle players had been too caught up in the moment, and I hope they learn from that because I think that they were frustrated at the ref, and obviously the bench were very frustrated, and that's where there was the sort of ruckus between the arguments with the the opposition bench, which is all a bit bizarre to see in a preseason friendly. But I also think Newcastle may experience that atmosphere a couple of times in the Premier League this season, particularly when they go to clubs with tighter grounds and where it'll be a hostile environment I hope they're just they learn from that and a bit because I th- the, the Joe Litton tackle I think it could have been a straight red of its own accord yeah. I thought it was I thought it was a very poor tackle I, I'm not I'm not going to shy away from that I thought he deserved to, to be sent off regardless of what else happened in the game I thought he deserved yeah. to be sent off and I think they do need to learn from that a little bit yeah there was quite a bit of needle wasn't there George I mean it's good to see that we're not going to take shit from anybody but at the same time we need to keep a lid on that don't we because you can't be tear arson around the pitch, getting red cards in the Premier League and, and spoiling the team's chances of getting a result. It, you've got to be so careful. No, and I mean, there's a couple of points to make about that. Firstly, it's better to get that out of the way in pre-season, mm-hmm. yeah. as Chris said, and sort of then then you're able to have a conversation about it, take a step back and then, you know, and, and that it gives everybody a chance to sort of reflect. The second thing to remember, of course, is that Jalinton is still a novice in this position. I mean, he really is in terms of time he's played there. Um, obviously, it was brilliant when he when he moved back and 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 kind of made it his own for Newcastle. But it's still not a position that he's played for for a long period over his career, and so he's still learning, and he has to, you know, he has to get better. So, you know, I think I would I would say those things in terms of mitigation. Um, but yeah, it's better to get it's better to get that kind of stuff out of the way now than it is in a couple of months' time when it could be really costly. Absolutely. It, it almost feels like Joe Linton stood on the side of that pitch last night and thought, I'm just going to go and try and liquidise some footballers as quick as I can. He he, he just he didn't seem to uh, take a breath, did he? He was on. He was like straight in. No one's getting a, a, a second on the ball from me today. But yeah, he's he's got to learn and, and he's that could be slightly naive on his part, maybe. But he, he needs to kind of to rein that in and, and we need him on the pitch. We don't need him suspended. Um, the, the dude, another one, no, sorry, just to pick up on that, Taylor, because the balance, I thought of the balance in the midfield in the second half looked far better mm. because of that. Because A, Joe Linton was on there and suddenly he is, he is up in people's faces. He is nicking the ball. He is causing frustrations in that sense. You've got Willick carrying a little bit more. And Shelby came on and probably looked like one of the the, the best midfielder of the, of the three at that point before, yeah, he, before, he, really before he got injured. Yeah. So I also think that, that that shows what Joe Linton can bring. It's just about tempering that slightly. And as Joe says, he's still learning. But it, hopefully that was that was an important uh, step in his development in that sense and, and for the team in general because how afterwards sounded frustrated as well. He sounded frustrated that there would be a red card. But I think if he sees that back and if it was the other way around, if that was a Benfica player on a, yeah, on a Newcastle yeah. player, I think the Newcastle fans would be crying for a red card because in my opinion it was. The danger with this sort of more physical approach as well is you can end up with 
picking up injuries in pre-season and John Joe Shelby went off with what looked like a bit of a nasty issue um it, i couldn't tell whether it was his hamstring or his knee or his calf but it didn't look great is there any update on that chris at all or has there there's been any word about his condition it didn't look great i mean how immediately after the match said that he thought it was a hamstring issue but he wasn't 100 percent sure and that then that shelby would uh be assessed i think we have to say he's going to be a doubt for the first game of the season because uh unless it unless it really was just cramp or something like that and just a bad bad case of cramp you you would suspect you won't play this weekend mm. and that probably won't play the, 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 therefore start the weekend after certainly so hopefully it isn't too serious Newcastle have got through pre-season so far Touchwood without other really serious injuries for, for, the, for their top players they've had a couple of issues with, with Cher here like Cher had a bit of a hamstring problem but he was back last night obviously Jamal Lewis Federico Fernandez they've had a couple of issues Javier Manquil but nothing to the main players and so hopefully that that, that is that is the only sort of uh, Take negative takeaway from last night, and hopefully it isn't it isn't as serious as maybe it looked on first viewing. Uh, right then, we'll we'll move on now, chaps. Um, and don't forget, you lot out there, you can subscribe to the Athletic for just one pound a month for the first six months right now. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod, and you get full access to all of our great writing and ad free versions of the Athletics podcast. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod. Get yourself on there and sign up now. Stick around. After the break, George and Chris will be talking to the Athletics' Felipe Cardenas about Newcastle's US and Mexican imports, not least the new chief executive. Potentially a very interesting character. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So now we turn to talk about Darren Eels, who is going to be Newcastle United's new CEO. He will not start until August the 8th, but he has already been confirmed about 10 days ago. And to speak about, Darren Eels is someone who knows very well, seen his work across Atlanta United close hand, is uh, Felipe, our correspondent across in the US, who's been on the podcast before. So thank you for coming back on, Felipe. Anytime. It's always a pleasure to come on and, and talk about Newcastle United from afar. Atlanta is sort of an adopted... I think they've adopted Newcastle for for, for a few seasons now. So we're, we're I think we're closely related, you know, since Miguel Mayor moved over in in, in twenty eighteen. And I mean, let's just really start with with Darren Eels in terms of if you were to explain briefly, and I realise that might be quite difficult given everything that's going on. Can you explain the Atlanta United story and Darren Eels' role in it, really where they've come from to where they are now? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it brief. You know, in, in 20, I believe it was around 2014, 2015 is when Atlanta United was uh, officially born, when Major League Soccer rewarded the city of Atlanta and owner Arthur Blank, who's also the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, the NFL team, gave them an expansion team. And almost immediately, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first hires he made was was Darren Eels as president of the club. And Darren came over, you know, before there was a training facility, before there was a pitch, any sort of stadium. Uh, He didn't even have a phone or a desk in his office. And he was here in Atlanta, uh, really building the momentum for what this club could be in in a southern city like Atlanta, which has a very obscure football history. There have been lower division teams here in Atlanta, but never a major league soccer team. And Darren, very early on, was really the voice of the club. You know, someone recently told me, uh, you know, described Darren Eels as the mascot of Atlanta United. You know, that's how visible he was. His voice was everywhere. He was on the local radio airwaves. He was doing TV interviews. He was out in the community before games. He's hanging out with with all of the supporters. And, you know, the early days of Darren Eels was, yes, you know, building the brand, you know, he's very much a brand builder. I think that's an important part of of his uh, responsibility and what he likes to do. Obviously, he has a legal background. He was instrumental in a lot of the player acquisitions that came through Atlanta very early. He made a big hire in bringing Tata Martino to Atlanta. You know, once Tata Martino showed interest in in Atlanta, you know, coming off two years with the Argentina national team, you know, Darren Eels jumped, you know, at that possibility. So, you know, I think Darren Eels will go down. His legacy really is being a big part of building what Atlanta United was early on. I think what I've said recently is what his legacy will be in the present is still to be determined. Atlanta United is not the club that they were before. They've hired and fired coaches over the last five years. Like just, it's just been a spinning wheel of, of coaches that haven't worked out. You know, the, the player profile, the strategy of what the club will be is sort of unknown right now. But he was really part of the buzz of what Atlanta was in 2017, 2018, and 2019. If you remember in 2018, 19, he brought in Frank DeBoer as his manager. You know, he really believed that was going to be, you know, a massive hire for the club and for MLS. And it really backfired in, in, in over one season. Frank DeBoer was out. That's very interesting, Felipe. Thank you. And I, I, perhaps you've already answered this question in in that sense. But I spoke to Amanda Staverley and Murdad Gadusi a few months ago. And when I did, they were talking about the CEO hire and saying that they'd had some incredible candidates, to use their word. And they also said, we don't just want a CEO that's been at another Premier League club and is going to say, OK, this is what you do and what I'll continue to do. We want someone who is going to really challenge the status quo and look at the business from different angles. So I guess, is do you think the building part of what Eels has done at Atlanta, the really transferable thing in terms of Newcastle? It can be, yes. You know, I think that that's the most interesting part of the hire is is how does his personality, which is a very big personality, and as I mentioned before, his messaging was was out there throughout the country. He was a big figure in, in, in Major League Soccer as well as one of the most popular executives in the league, understanding the restrictive financial aspects of MLS. It's not easy to build a team. It's not easy to build a roster of players that has longevity, that can win right away, that can be competitive in a league that wants every team to be at the same level. It's very different from what the Premier League is, obviously, and what world football is. And so I think perhaps there, 
that experience of being, for lack of a better term, almost handcuffed with what you can do financially in Major League Soccer and having basically to report to the league office everything that you do. You know, the players are signed and they become Major League Soccer employees. It is that sort of system. And so perhaps that is something that Darren Eels can bring to Newcastle as far as, you know, being creative with the financials. Yes, he's going to have a lot more to work with. Uh, and, and I'm sure he cannot wait to be part of that. But perhaps he's been indoctrinated in what American sports financials are as well. And he can bring that experience. You know, he's very, you know, he played college soccer, college football here in, in the United States. He's very much part of the American culture. And he was within an enterprise, the Arthur Blank Enterprise, which is very much NFL centric. And so I think he's going to take all of that experience to Newcastle and perhaps during the interview process. That's what his higher ups and his the decision makers for that position really were enamored with, with the possibilities of expansion, international expansion, uh, financial regulation, uh, and just the creative side of the brand build. I think Darren Eels will bring that to Newcastle, no doubt. And Felipe, you mentioned before that he was one of the most popular sort of executives at any MLS club. From your dealings with him and obviously from other executives you deal with, what is what is it that that Darren Eels is sort of sets him apart? That he's different, and what? How is he similar to others? What What has he been like to to deal with for you as a reporter watching on how he's how he's run the club? What is what what are, what are really his characteristics? It's it's an interesting. It's a great question because, as you both know, you know access here in professional sports in America is very different from what you both have to deal with in England. You know, it's there are like MLS rules that say players have to be available. Coaches have to be available weekly. Uh, you know, we don't have mixed zones for, for MLS. We go into a conference room. We have a news conference, if you will. We see players every week on the training pitch. They come and they talk to us. Darren was that sort of president. You know, he was out there talking to us, rubbing shoulders with us, um, very engaging with the media. I think from a personal standpoint, from what I, my experience from afar, you know, he did have pretty much like a, a tight layer around the team. I think he didn't want news to come out of the, the organization, uh, you know, sources within the club, uh, you know, that, that was difficult to, to do even, even though I had several sources within Atlanta United, I think, Darren Eels and, and, and the front office in Atlanta weren't very fond of that. But he was someone that when, when he wanted communication to get out there, he was front and center. You know, he would contact me um, if that was something that he wanted to, to be very public. I think in just public arenas, he honestly couldn't wait to do an interview. You know, he wanted to do it. He wanted to be part of that, uh, that world. He wanted his story to be told, whatever it was. Just recently, when Atlanta was named a host city for the 2026 World Cup, you know, Darren Eels was front and center. He was front and center as part of that pitch process. He was the voice, again, of what football has become in Atlanta and what it will become leading up to 2026. So very much an engaging individual. I think you'll, when you meet him, Chris, you will notice that. I think internally what I've learned over the years, and, and this is something that reporters here locally have discussed recently, is you know, what type of leader is he? You know, we know what type of figure he is, and he's a great quote. Uh, internally, I think there are questions about the leadership capabilities that he has, the hires that he's made. Some of the hires have just simply not worked uh, here in Atlanta. And, and so that'll be interesting to see what sort of, I think, authority he's given within Newcastle to make hires if he 
comes to the United States for candidates or if he remains in England for those types of positions, but very much someone that you're going to get used to hearing, I think. Well, we'll take things one at a time and having an executive who's willing to talk to us will certainly <laughs> will certainly make a nice change after 14 years of um, pretty much tortuous silence. I'm fascinated, actually, what you say there about sort of the latter years at Atlanta. I mean, when, when things have been good, though, and obviously things have been good under him, for for spells too has atlanta had a kind of identity as a club and it, has it been something that's reflected the city or reflected the fan base reflected people you know when you went to the stadium did you sort of know what you were going to get and did it stand for something do you think absolutely i think that's that's the atlanta united story very early on you know they had uh, a, a manager in Tata Martino that had a very distinct philosophy. You know, his his teams played a very certain way. They were a four-two-three-one team. They wanted to counter press in midfield. They could high press if they had the right personnel in the field, and they were just straight and attacking team. That's why Miguel Amaron was such became such a star, and that's why he's still a unicorn in Major League Soccer. He's been irreplaceable. You know, he had the right players around him. He had a manager that just let him go, and he became a star. What you mentioned about the stadium and the city, I think, is re- really important because I think that's something that Darren Eels did truly embrace. And he's always been very open about, you know, he's called Atlanta sort of a hidden gem, a city that if you're not here, you don't understand. But so much culture, uh, very bicultural as far as the city goes, the, the history, the civil rights history of the 60s and 70s here in Atlanta, uh, very much part of the club. And when you go to Atlanta United Games, you know you're in Atlanta. The music, the the, the vibe of the games, um, and very early on, fans knew exactly what to expect from the team. They knew what type of game it was going to be. And no one sat at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Everyone is up for the 90 minutes. They knew the game was going to be back and forth. They knew their def- their back line was they were going to be on an island. Those defenders were going to be in one v one positions all the time. They understood the risk, and it was fun. That that's what. The first two years were like, and the second year, obviously, they won MLS Cup. So what happened later is is a deterioration of that identity. And uh, to be frank, you know, if Darren Eels has been front and center uh, as the teardown occurred of, of what the Tata Martino years were, the type of players that were here. Uh, you had veteran MLS and American players, some of the top American players uh, were here in Atlanta. Not the young crowd, not the young American players that we see in Europe, but the veteran established players in Major League Soccer then mixed with this very South American culture that Darren Neal's truly embraced. You know, they sort of started this young South American profile of player that come in. But since then, and again, I mentioned Frank DeBoer at the top of the show, you know, Darren Neal's belief that Frank DeBoer could be a succession plan for Tata Martino and could come into a locker room that was established at a culture that had just won a championship and really take it to the next level, it truly backfired. It just never worked. And then his technical director, sporting director, Carlos Bucanegra, who you, all of you in England know well, you know, he, again, was part of this deconstruction of a very successful project. So I think that's what you refer to, George, as far as the latter years, the legacy, where you know, here in, in America, it's like it's very difficult what's, when you're at the top. And that's where Atlanta United was. It's one thing to be at the top and slowly perhaps, you know, battle your way or to stay there. It's one thing to be there, to taste it. It's another thing to have it and let it go and think that you can reinvent yourself in just a matter of years. And so that was part of, I think, the Darren Neal's legacy of, you know, that ability or that belief 
that it's so easy to win that we can just start over whenever we want. All I'd say to that is that I'm just, all I care about is getting to that winning something, winning anything. Then I'm going to get so drunk that I can't see and then I'm going to retire, Felipe. <laughs> so I don't care what comes after that. So um, he can deal with that. Don't he? Well, George, I, I'll, say, I'll say this, you know, internally, and this goes from an internal employee competition to, you know, battling other league presidents for players and for notoriety. Everyone tells me how competitive Darren Neal's is to a point where it was sort of like a problem for him. Right. Uh, so, it, so, so winning, I think, is a is is very much a big deal. Like he isn't, you know. Yes, he was part of this the story that was so high, and now they're so low right now. But really, his desire to be the best and do it right away. Uh, and when he had the right pieces was part of it. You know, I played in a media game rec- a couple of weeks ago. Darren Eels was, was on my team. I was a center midfielder. He's very much a back to goal, scrappy center forward. And it was very competitive. He was on my team, but it was like this, we, we had to win. Like the, the message right away was we needed to win that game. And so, I th- you know, Darren Eels will, I think he will not go to Newcastle and just want to be part of the status quo. There's no way. Interesting. And Philippe, I mean, you mentioned before that the early sort of idea was South American players bringing them in. Obviously, the the one who was sold on, and I think at the time it was an MLS record. It was certainly one of the biggest sales has ever been from the MLS. Was Miguel Almiron, who you mentioned before? Now Eels negotiated that. He he was he he was very firm with Newcastle for a while, and it took until the end of the window. In terms of the legacy of that deal, how is that seen in Atlanta in the US in general, and also? Your perspective now, I know we've asked you before, but seeing Miguel Almiron's situation at Newcastle, what, what do you make of it from, from from where you're looking at this? Well, first of all, Chris, I remember when you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago about this the possibility of, of Darren Neal's becoming the CEO of Newcastle. I remember my first thought was, well, if, if there's a strong lead, he's gone. Like I just felt like he was always the sort of person that w- wanted to get back to the Premier League. And I, had, and I remember a conversation I had months ago with a source that essentially confirmed that. And so the link to Newcastle clearly probably begins, obviously, with with that deal with Miguel Almiron. You've mentioned before, I know Ashcroft and, and, and Eels have a relationship, but you know, I'm sure they remember Darren Eels from the negotiation with, with, with Miguel Almiron. And to this day, it's still a record transfer. It is, I think, the North Star for Major League Soccer teams. Like, how can you get player within your club, develop him, and sell them to the top leagues in the world for a record transfer. Since Miguel Amaron, there hasn't been another transfer like that. There have been several transfers out of Major League Soccer, but even the South American pipeline of the young player coming through, that has gone cold. Players are coming, but they're not leaving for big clubs. Uh, And so, you know, Taryn was part of that uh, initial strategy, and, and I think it worked out. So, you know, he is very shrewd, I think. I think he would admit that, that he's a shrewd negotiator. I think he's proud of that, that he had a number. He's gone on the record saying that we had a number with Miguel Amaron and we weren't going to move. We weren't going to budge. I'm sure you remember Miguel Amaron's agent then going very public with the, the headaches that it was of dealing with Atlanta United for that transfer. And so I think in hindsight, you know, I've thought a lot about this. Was that the best move for Miguel Amaron? You know, there there had to have been other suitors at the time. You know, La Liga was sort of the cl- the league that everyone here felt like he could really develop in and, and, and really dominate. Uh, Serie A, of course, at the time, 
we've seen an evolution of Serie A. It's much more expansive. It's much more attacking today. Uh, but just four years ago, it wasn't. And now looking back, you know, I wonder if the notion of being so shrewd with that with that negotiation of getting him to the Premier League may have set the player back. I truly still believe that Miguel Amaron is a great player. He just needs the right manager, uh, the, the belief in himself. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if Darren Eels actually being within the, the facility will give him a boost. You know, this is a player. This is a player that Darren Eels really does believe in. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of relationship he continues with Miguel, and perhaps secretly what sort of promises he makes to him. You know, someone joked to me the other day. Someone texted me right away and said, "I bet I guarantee the first thing Darren Eels does when he gets to Newcastle is sell Miguel Almiron." <laughs> and and I, you know, I couldn't help but laugh. You know, who knows? But certainly, in some way or another, he will be a priority for Darren Eels. Yeah, it feels like a very big season for him if he stays. I mean, I, I, I love him as a player. You know, Rafa obviously had a plan for him, knew what he was doing with him, and they were a formidable prospect towards the back end of that season. But he has, re- I mean, I think he regressed under Steve Bruce. I don't think he was alone on, in that, but it, you know, Steve Bruce was not a coaching manager. And I think Miggy has looked a bit lost. You know, there's no, there's no finer sight at Newcastle than his smile when he scores a goal or when he contributes a goal. And I think we're all kind of longing to see that back. But yeah, his place is definitely under pressure this coming season. Um, and it's an area of the team they're looking to strengthen. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next few weeks. And just one final uh, question, Philippe. Another person who we had you on to chat about another young player uh, about eight, six months ago now, now you, uh, with Santiago Munoz. And he it hasn't quite happened for him at Newcastle yet. I mean, he hasn't got anywhere near the first team. He's had injury problems. He did um, he did go out to to, to join the, the team in Portugal over the, over the last few days. He has he has trained with the first team a fair bit. He has scored a couple of goals uh, for the for the under-21s. I mean, that, that's a sort of interesting deal because it's a loan deal with a, with an option to buy, isn't it? And it hasn't seemed to really kick off from yet. What, what's the sort of perception being around? For, have you spoken to anyone about, about what his time here? Well, do you, if you remember, you know, I, I go back to what I was told from, from Club Santos. The, the front office there, they weren't happy with the fact that this player was so adamant about leaving when he wanted to leave. You know, they were very clear in that interview on the record saying, don't think this is the right time for him. We have a lot of, we have high hopes. We want him to do well. You know, yes, they they did believe that going to the U23s for Newcastle United would would allow him to continue to develop as a player. But he would be playing first team football in Mexico right now. You know, he would. I think if he would have stayed in Mexico and had an unbelievable year, you know, perhaps he would be a, sort of a distant prospect for Mexico's uh, World Cup team in 2026. You know, they have. Issues at striker. I think that's very far fetched. You know, the other day in Mexico when he made his you know debut for Newcastle's first team, there were Mex- there were reporters in Mexico saying he has to be an option now for the World Cup, and it's like no, you know that. But that's the Santiago Munoz story. It's like they go so high, you know, when he appears, you know, because he's that he has that promise and that potential, uh, and and I just think he's going to need time very clearly and I just again I go back to the fact that Santos were not keen on him leaving at such a young age uh, without the preparation that they believed he still needed perfect and thank you very much for your time Felipe I'm sure we'll have you on 
again at some point in the not too distant future, maybe to get your sort of analysis from a distance of how Darren Eels does at Newcastle. Hopefully, with uh, he'd be sleeping with a trophy across here like he did, I think, with the MLS Cup, if I remember correctly, across there. Uh, he slept with several trophies. He, he was not exclusive. He slept with several trophies while he was here, yes. Well, chaps, interesting stuff there um, from Felipe Cardenas about Darren Eels, a, a lovely little chat and, and quite a complex character, Chris, by all accounts. Yeah, I mean, it was fascinating because Felipe and I are working on a piece about Darren Eels at the, at the moment and to to hear, I've done a lot of research into that, but even when Felipe was chatting, there was a lot I didn't necessarily realise and know about Darren Eels from that. And it, 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 it is going to be very interesting to see how he, he transfers what he has done at Atlanta to Newcastle United to the UK, it, it's very different operation in the US. Sports work in a very different way. It's far more open. You have to be outward facing. I assume that Darren Eels will come in and, and at least try and replicate some of that. But to what extent will be very intriguing to see. But just it's nice to know that hopefully it's not going to be like the last fourteen years. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, I I took took kind of a lot out of it. I mean, obviously he, at Atlanta he's had to build a club from stra- scratch effectively, and in many ways Newcastle, you know, they're, they're a football club. They exist. They have a stadium. They have all of that. But in t- in terms of internally and in terms of commercial departments, in terms of all that kind of stuff, they almost are building from scratch because all of that stuff has been Sports Direct in the past. There's been very little chance to grow, and so the you know I I suppose what I find interesting is that. Dan Ashworth was described as an architect by Mirdad, and they've got another builder, someone who's used to building something very, very quickly and getting it to a position of success. And so I find that kind of interesting. And yes, he's obviously a very uh, outgoing character who's very used to being in front of a microphone, who's used to talking to supporters, being front and centre. That Maybe is we'll get him on the podcast at some point, George. Hey, he's, you never know. That would be brilliant. You? That would be brilliant. Imagine that. Um, but, but you know, again, Newcastle has been the opposite of that over the last 14 years. And there, there has always been a craving for information from fans. It's not, you know, not just like gossip, but knowing that their investment, you know, their emotional investment and financial investment is like replicated. They get something back for that, not in terms of value for money, but in terms of that feeling back. And so I'm kind of quite excited about that, about that openness being there put that together with Ashworth and Howe. I think there's a lot of good sense there. The key is how they work together, but we know that Ashworth and Eels have worked together in the past, so that's very encouraging. And it just feels like something very serious and substantive and solid. So, yeah, bring it on. Absolutely. Uh, Right then, we'll we'll crack on a little bit, chaps. Striker rumours, Chris. Um, There's been all sorts of chat, obviously, as there has been for months now, but over the last couple of weeks... The, the talk about uh, about Newcastle bringing in a striker or a right-sided forward even. Breuer was one of those names that was mentioned and West Ham were interested in him. But it looks like West Ham have plumped for Skameka now. So it does that leave uh, the path clear for Newcastle to have another run at Breuer? Well, yeah, as of, a, as of a week ago, it did look very much like Armando Breuer, who was on loan at Southampton last season, was going to go to West Ham. Now that that is looking increasingly unlikely, Newcastle had registered an interest a, a, a while ago that they they put an inquiry in there. I think that where things stand at the moment is that that Newcastle still do 
like Brian, in theory, you would like him on with it loan with an option to buy. But at this stage, I don't think anything's close on that front. I think that Broya would like to know that he's going to play regularly, and Newcastle won't necessarily give him guarantees of that, particularly if Callum Wilson is fit. So other options are being considered. Uh, I mean, I did, I've done a piece which, by the time the podcast uh, is up, it w- will be out, and basically it's it's me choosing the eleven I would start the opening day against Forest, and basically the main position where there is absolutely no debate is a striker. Callum Wilson, if he is fit, starts that match, and you don't you don't you don't, you don't doubt yeah. that. And, and and even if someone like Broya came in, you wouldn't have thought that would change immediately. The the, the issue really that in my team that I found was trying to pick who who is going to be on the right side forward position because that's the other area that Newcastle want to strengthen and, and as of yet haven't been able to. Obviously, they didn't get Hugo you pick? as the striker. Who would you pick, Chris? In well, it... <laughs> Who would you pick, Chris? Yeah, Chris, who would you pick? Well, I, 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 I did not pick Miguel Almiron, despite him didn't scoring pick six goals in pre-season. So, no. so mean, you... So, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, so I'm accused of not paying any attention to pre-season. You've watched pre-season and not paid any attention to pre-season. Am I right <laughs> or am I wrong? You're, you're right in many ways, yeah. Uh, so in I, many ways, right. I did, I did I, no, I did. I did not pick out, and I'm going to explain why I did pick Almer. I went for Ryan Fraser, which I I say within the piece. I certainly don't. I don't expect Ryan Fraser to start there. A because he, when he has played in preseason, he's played on the left rather than on the right. And secondly, he, he didn't feature last night apparently for for family issue. We didn't have more information than that. But I would go for Ryan Fraser because I think his. I think when Newcastle were their best under Howe last season aside from the final two games of the season, was when Ryan Fraser was in the team. I think he brings more. Almiron is in very, very good form, which I hope he takes into the start of the season. But equally, there were moments, certainly when I was at the 1860 Munich and Mainz game, where Almiron still frustrates the life out of me in terms of in situations where I think he could do something and he doesn't. I still think he has to show more to be able to get in the team. I, I predict that he probably will start that first game of the season, but he's not He's not in my team. He's not in my team. I think yeah. he starts. How many goals has he scored? Six. You can't score a goal every 44 minutes in pre-season and not, and not start the first game. If, if there's not much competition in your position, you just can't. Unless we bring somebody else in who is who is a, a massive upgrade on him, he has to start. Well, I mean, I, I think, yes, I mean, I think so. I mean... We we talk about we you know we talked about Miggy a little bit with uh, with Felipe but you know I think it's a massive season for for him for the reasons that Chris mentioned but he has responded and um, you know he's a good player he needs he needs TLC he needs guidance and he needs to be coached and um, I mean I think that is a you know I think that's a pretty compelling case to be honest, to, to start the season. And so, yeah, I probably, I think I probably would. But in, t- but in terms of the, the back to the striker and the right side forward, I think at this stage, I mean, Newcastle would still like to bring in at least one before the Forest game. But even if they do, I think we're at such a late stage in terms of everything that's happened in pre-season that unless it's a player of such quality, whoever comes in is unlikely to start against Forest. Yeah. I think that, it, that, that that 11 is going to come from the squad which Newcastle have now. They may have an option to bring on off of the bench who may then come into the team in the, in the coming weeks afterwards. But the way that Howe works, how meticulous he is, exactly how he's been, what he's been trying to put into the players during pre-season, I think that Forest that 11 comes from the squad who is already there. Uh, there's been some other names linked this week. There was a, an interesting moment on Twitter and uh, Instagram when a, an agent uh, 
took a photo of themselves in front of the uh, the bridges down at the River Tyne there in a restaurant. That's a reversal, isn't it? It's usually it's usually fans sending the other way around, pictures of bridges yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to agents and players. <laughs> subsequent digging and uh, investigative work revealed that he was the agent of uh, one Benjamin Sesco, a Red Bull Salzburg player who's uh, been uh, scoring goals and pulling up trees. Young, impressive uh, centre forward, Chris. This was flying around on Twitter last week. Is it? Is there anything in this rumour? Is there anything in this name? Is it someone Newcastle have looked at? And uh, why was the agent on Tyneside? Why he was on Tyneside, I can't answer conclusively. I've tried to reach out to them and they haven't they haven't got back to me. But I can say that Sesco is someone Newcastle like, one of many players who they like, and a lot of a lot of other people like Sesco as well. He's seen as he's he's seen as one of the next big things potentially mm. in Europe and, and the likes of Bayern Munich and others are sort of tracking him going forward. So he's a he's a potential option for Newcastle. He's someone they're considering as an alternative to Hugo Akatiki, but I don't think it has progressed beyond that just just yet. And I see on the script we also I've also been asked who is Ludovic a joke. He is a, a striker who is uh who's played in League One. He's twenty eight years old. Uh again, someone who has been on Newcastle's radar before, but I think given age, I think that's probably more unlikely unless how really decides he he does just need another their option. Newcastle can't get alternatives. They, they do still have Chris Chris Wood as the backup sort of forward there. So they they like they, they, what they really ideally would like is a younger striker they can mould into to uh, to to basically be backup for for Callum Wilson or potentially play across the front line going forward. Nice one. I'm I'm a big fan of Sesco. I have to be honest. I like the thong song when he did that. That was excellent. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, and also more outlandish links this week. Uh, Julian Draxler has a name that's been mentioned, and Timo Werner as well. Uh, obviously, not having the greatest time at Chelsea, but uh, could there possibly be anything in those links, Chris? Draxler, I don't think is likely given his wages and his general situation. I don't think he's someone in Newcastle are really considering. Werner at this stage, no, but I think that basically what Newcastle have done is with quite a few players, the likes of Werner and others at Chelsea and elsewhere, Newcastle have sort of made it clear that that if their situation changes, if they become available for a loan later in the window, and if potentially some of their pay packet could be picked up by Chelsea because Newcastle would not pay all of Werner's wages, then maybe later in the window... That would be the sort of player they will be interested in. Someone who has Premier League experience might not quite have worked out at Chelsea, but that Newcastle have tracked long term and could come in. So that's maybe one to watch later in the window, depending on both Newcastle's and Chelsea's business in the coming weeks. The, yeah, the important thing to remember is that as we get closer to the window, more and more calls are going to be going out. Clubs are going to be finalising their squads. There'll be people who are who are available or could be available. And I think clubs are going to have to be sort of imaginative in what they do sometimes. There's no harm in making calls and there's no harm in sort of showing an interest. The the thing about the wage bill is important, though. It's it's not the, you know, it is in, in some senses dousing uh, transfer fever with kind of cold water. But it is important to remember that Newcastle are very, very keen not just to get better, but to protect what they have. And... You know they they are absolutely adamant that they don't want to go down the route of bringing people in who are on a huge amount of money who may not show the same commitment who have the potential to disrupt the squad um, because of it. I'm not saying Timo Werner's like that at all, but you know they're trying to build organically with what they already have 
and 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 to grow like that. Now, if there is a chance, as Chris said, that you know a parent club can pay some money. I mean, it sounds ludicrous in the circumstances when you know how much theoretical money Newcastle have behind them. But that is very much part of their policy. You know. Uh, this summer and moving forward, that you know, eventually their wage bill is going to get is going to get bigger as the club gets bigger and the team gets better. But they have to try and do it in a sense, or the way they're looking at it at the moment is to do it in a sensible, organic way that protects what they have, that builds what they on what they have, and doesn't jeopardise it because that is very important and it's pretty special. Let's be let's be honest. Absolutely, and of course we've seen Kieran Clark, um, Jeff Hendrick, and Dwight Gale go out of the club so far on loan to various places, and Dwight Gale went uh, on a permanent deal. Um, is there any more outgoings in the pipeline, Chris? Have, has there been any more chat around players leaving? Uh, at the at the moment, I mean, Matt Ritchie is someone who I think Eddie Howe actually ideally would be quite receptive to keeping him around, but he admitted in Austria that. For a good few years now, Richie's family situation has meant that he's been quite keen to return down south and he's unlikely to be in the starting eleven. I mean, the fact that he can play five substitutes this season has probably benefits both his likely amount of game time as well as someone like Elliot Anderson, which is why he might be kept around. That's a new Premier League rule is that you, can now, you now can introduce up to five substitutes in a match. But, so I think that's bullshit, a potential... Bullshit, that's Chris. <laughs> I agree. Well, yeah. And, and, and Absolute it, bullshit rule. Well, we, 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 it's a disgrace. I, I don't disagree, um, but I didn't make the rules. Uh, uh, just, just, just clarify. Just oh, to sorry, clarify, I'm getting get myself mixed up there, Chris. <laughs> but uh, an, an, another <laughs> position, I mean, they will almost certainly have to move a goalkeeper on because of the number of players they have already. I can't see them naming four senior goalkeepers in the squad. Martin Dubravka missed last night's game with uh, a sprained wrist. There's question marks over him, Carl Darlow, and Mark Gillespie as to which who will be the one who will will sort of be moved on because Nick Pope really haven't signed this summer is the only one you could be certain is going to be in that 25 man squad this stage. Something that did happen, George, and and a nice little bit of news and maybe well deserved this as well. Emil Kraft was granted a, a one year contract extension after his uh, his decent performance at the back end of last season. A, a nice moment for him and. Uh, I think he's one of these players who's managed to revitalise his Newcastle career, hasn't he, as, as, as time's gone on under Eddie Howe? Yeah, absolutely. And sort of goes back to what I was just saying before about about building with the squad they already have. I think, you know, maybe some people would have thought it's, you know, get rid of everybody and start again. They're not good enough. Um, you know, let's bring in better players. But, I mean, A, Kraft did make a very impressive recovery uh, last season and, you know, and looked solid and looked good. And so, yes, I'm very pleased on that front, but it also shows again that um, it's about building with what you know with with what they have. You've seen that throughout the squad. They need and want the squad to grow with them. And yes, of course, over time, players get replaced and better players come in. That's what it's all about. But they haven't just jettisoned everybody, um, you know. Um, and yeah, I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased for him. What was interesting was it was about sort of February time, and even at that stage, the message was quite clear that Emil Kraft was not one of the players who was going to leave this summer. That even that from behind the scenes, as much as many Newcastle fans had seen that he'd start to improve by that stage, the best, the, the bigger improvement came slightly later on. It wasn't quite early on. Howard come in and identified 
what Emil Kraft, he thought Emil Kraft could bring, how he thought he could improve him, the attributes that he has, certainly physically and, 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 and athletically, to, and, and basically his tactical understanding to listen to instructions and, and to carry them out. And so that was that was an interesting message from as far back as sort of February time, that for all the players who may leave this summer, one who was not being touted around and was not going to go was Emil Kraft. And so, that yeah, the fact that he's got it at one-year extension through to 2024 doesn't surprise me in that sense, even if you'd asked me when Howe first came in, I would have been surprised if Emil Kraft was going to form part of the future. I'm just going to make one very quick little point here. Uh, it's sort of more of a point of uh, it's more of a point of interest. But just as we're talking and and going through uh, pre-season and the you know the options available on the squad and transfers, Ollie, our producer, is tweeting about the architecture of Newcastle, and it's, it's, it strikes me as quite you know maybe he's not quite ready for football yet um, either. And maybe we're just talking a load of shit. He's he's he's, he's tweeting about architecture. He just has boot camp for a couple of weeks. He's not paying. He's not paying attention to a single thing we're saying. Keep your eyes on the road, Ollie. For God's sake. Why are you on Twitter, George? I'm looking at Twitter to make sure that we're completely up to date in everything oh, that we say oh, and do, because something yeah. always happens Amazing. when the podcast comes out. And there's you tweeting. There's you <laughs> tweeting about architecture. You're reading a thread about John Dobson. Incredible, absolutely incredible, astonishing. Let's be honest, George. If you had to deal with us three every week and produce our podcast, I think you would be uh, would be t- taking a little bit of time off. <laughs> Very good. Uh, right then, chaps. Uh, before we wrap things up, um, have we got anything interesting coming out on the athletic this week, Chris? Well, that that my controversial starting eleven for Nottingham Forest will be up by the time that this is out. Mm. As and uh, also, yeah, we are working on the the this Darren Neal's piece, so that should be up at some point over the course of the next few days. Plus, I will be at both friendlies uh, over the weekend, so there will be a piece on the back of that. Anything interesting for you, George, before you re-engage with football? Well, no, I'm also going to both friendly games. So Ooh. having said that, having having said everything I have, so yes, I'm going to go. Um, Chris and I are working on a big piece, which um, that will help inform. So looking forward to that. And yeah, um, getting stuff ready for the start of the season. Got a lot of things coming up. One thing that came out by Chris and I at the back end of last week, in fact, really the inspiration was the, was put on the time. The podcast was wrote a piece about 92, 93 and comparing the mood to now mm, and yeah. um you know which i think is very important for people who weren't around back then that they're going to experience this, that same feeling of uplift and people like Derek Wright who we had on the show and John Beresford talking about that and also contributions from Kevin Keegan and Steve Howie and various various others about that very very special time for Newcastle and how the emotion and feeling is being replicated now brilliant stuff I have to say as well before we finish up thank you to all the people who got in touch about the the Derek Wright interview and saying lovely things about Derek uh, and also about the interview itself it was it was really lovely to get the chance to speak to him and what an incredible man and, and a, an amazing servant in Newcastle United so thank you to everybody who got in touch and, and, and uh, said nice things about that. That's it, chaps. Thank you very much for your time. Don't forget, you lot out there, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month right now for the first six months. Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right then, friendlies against Atlanta and Athletic Bilbao coming up this weekend. Enjoy those, chaps, if you're going along. It should be a fun uh, couple of days. And we'll be back next week. Thank you to everybody for listening to Pod on the Time. From all of us here, take care. Goodbye.
The Athletic.